1: January 11th, 1964. It's an unusually mild winter morning, a Saturday. Across the United States, people are doing their regular weekend thing, drinking coffee, having a cigarette, watching a morning TV show, maybe Mr. Mayor or The Alvin Show. But meanwhile, in Washington, D.C., the U.S. State Department building is starting to fill up with reporters. Just a few of them, a select group. They're waiting to hear from the U.S. Surgeon General, Luther Terry. He's known as the nation's doctor, and he is getting ready to deliver a special report, a report that has life and death stakes for millions of Americans. The doors are locked. The reporters aren't supposed to leave until the briefing is done. And at exactly 9 a.m., Luther Terry gets up to speak. The room goes silent. And Terry delivers his bombshell.
0: It is a judgment of the committee that cigarette smoking contributes substantially to mortality from certain specific diseases and to the overall death rate.
1: The fact that smoking can kill you seems like the most obvious statement a doctor could make. But in 1964, this was not the case. Why did this groundbreaking announcement take so long to come out and even longer to be accepted?
2: This has never been done before in U.S. history. All of a sudden, U.S. government at the highest levels says, you know, this is bad.
1: I'm Sally Helm, and this is History This Week. Today, how the U.S. Surgeon General's announcement in that closed door meeting completely changed the course of American public health. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you.
0: Learn more at uh1.com. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: It's the 1960s, the post-war era. The U.S. economy is booming and the country is on the rise. And so, too... Our cigarettes. Why don't you settle back? Settle back. And have a full-flavored smoke. Have a Marlboro cigarette.
0: Back in the 40s, in the 50s, in the 60s, even into the 70s, you know, smoking was a lifestyle choice. It was, uh, you know, a rite of passage for many young adolescents as they were becoming, you know, of age.
1: That's Dr. Mike Cummings. He's a professor at the Medical University of South Carolina, and he has received the American Cancer Society's Luther Terry Award. It is named after this Surgeon General that we're talking about. It recognizes achievements in public health. Cummings was a boy in the 1960s, and he says cigarettes were everywhere.
0: You had images of the Marlboro Man. The Marlboro Man is a special kind of man. Strong. Tough. The self-reliant guy on the horse. He lives and works in the environment... The leader. An environment and, you know, the vulnerable young males out there in particular who took up Marlboro, I mean, they would see on their television screen every night massive amounts of cigarette advertising, portraying cigarettes as a, a normal lifestyle choice. Meet the night people. Fun, happy, sexy. This is their style. They look for atmosphere, and they're likely to find it anywhere. In fact, many, many television shows during that era. The, the I Love Lucy show. Rawhide brought to you by... Mar- Harry Mason has been brought to you by... You had the Flintstones. These were shows on primetime actually sponsored by cigarette companies.
1: Cigarettes had been normalized and glamorized over decades. And not just in Hollywood. During World War II, the U.S. gave out free packs of cigarettes as morale boosters. The
0: camel people have now sent more than 190 million gift camels to servicemen, service women, and veterans. By
1: 1963, almost half of adult Americans smoked regularly. The Surgeon General who made this announcement Even he was a smoker.
0: Throat specialists making weekly examinations reported not one single case of throat irritation due to smoking camels.
1: And in this era, a lot of people thought that smoking was actually healthy. One company claimed that its cigarettes prevented respiratory diseases, prevented them. Dr. Cummings told us.
0: Half of all doctors were cigarette smokers in the early 50s.
1: I was recently looking at some vintage cigarette ads, and I could not believe how many doctors were in them. There's one with a picture of this strapping young doctor sitting with an elderly woman during a home visit. The text reads, more doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. Another one says, for your health, asthma cigarettes. And at the bottom it says, not recommended for children under six. So... People thought smoking was cool, glamorous, even healthy. And not only that, cigarettes were an enormous economic force. The tobacco industry was worth $8 billion. In today's dollars, that's a $66 billion industry. They employed people, they made money for shareholders, they paid a lot of taxes. $3 billion worth in 1963, which was 1.25% of the country's total GDP, It's a big industry. We talked about all this with Dr. Boris Lushnak. He served as the acting U.S. Surgeon General in 2014. That year, he and his office published a big anniversary report about smoking and health 50 years after Luther Terry's announcement. And when we spoke with him, one thing became very clear.
2: There was a huge portion of our economy that was based upon tobacco. There were huge influencing companies right, that had a political track. We were somewhat a divided country in terms of the North and the South, right? Tobacco farmers were a key component of many people's jurisdictions.
1: This announcement that Luther Terry made, it was risky, both economically and politically.
2: And so what happened when the Surgeon General stood out On a public health issue was the first time that the Surgeon General really stepped into the smoking and the cigarette realm. So every single Surgeon General, including my position as an acting Surgeon General and as the Deputy Surgeon General, inherited the smoking and the anti-smoking part of public health.
1: Luther Terry took that leap, and it changed the definition of who the U.S. Surgeon General was – and what that role would mean for the American people.
2: I think what we saw in Luther Terry was a transition of that position. Not only being a person who, yes, is in charge of some of the health care needs of this country, but for that person to really be a spokesperson. All of a sudden, it became big politics.
1: So, what convinced him to do this? To go on national TV and take a stand against cigarettes?
2: So let's move back historically a little bit, right? If we go into the mid-1950s, what we start seeing specifically from the British medical journals are reports already that say, you know, this smoking thing. There may be a tie-in between this product and lung cancer and respiratory diseases
1: actually been reports about this for years, and the previous Surgeon General had tried to do something about it.
2: Leroy Burney, back in 1959, actually published a major summary of the literature. But the problem was that Burney kind of dropped it at that point, right, as Surgeon General. There was a little bit of political pushback. People were doubtful of the data. And so it wasn't pursued well by Leroy Burney. When we look at Luther Terry, it was a different time.
1: It's now 1961. And things change, partly because someone powerful gets involved.
0: Oh my fellow Americans. Ask not what your country can do for you.
2: JFK got elected to be president. Just a few months later, in June of 1961, uh, several major organizations, health organizations, sent a letter to the president. And the letter said simply, we think there's a problem. Let's do something about it.
1: But lots of people in the administration felt like this was too politically hot to get into. The president did hand it off to the Surgeon General, Luther Terry. And he was like, well, let's at least form a committee. So he did. In June of 1962, he started setting up a 10-person committee to review this evidence. Half of the members were smokers themselves.
2: And so the meeting room itself was filled with smoke as they're discussing the deleterious health consequences of smoking.
1: That was actually intentional. Terry wanted a more balanced review so that the results would feel legitimate. So this committee analyzes data from 16 studies sourced from five different countries spanning over 18 years of research A lot of research. And finally, in November of 1963, they have their report. All 387 pages of it. But then something terrible happens. The president of the United States was
0: shot down by an assassin's bullet and John Fitzgerald Kennedy died today.
1: So, in the wake of a national tragedy the smoking report is put aside. Until January 11th, 1964, in the U.S. State Department building in that locked room.
2: There is a nervousness associated with this type of announcement. This has never been done before in U.S. history, right? Sort of the public health arm coming out and basically saying, "Okay, we have something important to say.
1: It was partly because of their nervousness that the government held this meeting on a Saturday.
2: Hmm. Government working on the Saturday? Isn't that strange? But in essence, there were two reasons actually for releasing it on Saturday. They wanted the Sunday papers to cover it, right? So they wanted top-notch, everybody reads the Sunday paper, they want it to be out there. But the second aspect of this was it gives you a time lag between Saturday and Monday morning when the stock market opens for people to sort of react to this and to not necessarily
1: panic. The government didn't want the stock market to crash. They also wanted to make sure that the reporters actually read the data. So every reporter got a fat copy of the report after the announcement and they were told, sit here and read this.
2: Legend has it that they were locked in the room, which meant nobody leaves until after. They have looked at the report, and the committee and the Surgeon General answered all their questions. So they had the opportunity to fully engage and understand what they were reporting on. So there was a nervousness to make sure, hey, guys, get this right.
0: It is a judgment of the committee that cigarette smoking contributes substantially to mortality from certain specific diseases. And then
1: they open the doors, and the race begins.
2: My vision of it is everybody's running for the phones, right? And they're all doing their verbal reports to their news outlets. It was big news.
1: Each of the 3 television networks, NBC, CBS, and ABC, each of them did a special report that evening.
2: Did it crash the market? Not really. Right? Were there repercussions and nervousness? Yes, there was. And was there a response? Well, you know, all of a sudden, the indicators were people were giving up cigarettes. And and there was this sense of people's interest in their health.
1: People, or at least some people, take notice. Some of them actually give up smoking. And by 1966, Congress requires health warnings on packs of cigarettes— So no more, this cigarette will cure your asthma. But the numbers of people smoking in the U.S. don't really go down. Much
2: like any other news cycle item, it started fading, right? All of a sudden, there was a resurgence, right, of smoking afterwards.
1: We asked Dr. Cummings about this. He's the guy who won that award named after Luther Terry.
0: Cigarette sales actually began to rebound again beginning in March of 1964. After the new health warning appeared on cigarettes in 1966, what the FTC concluded is cigarette sales were actually higher the year after the warning appeared.
1: Now, there may be a bunch of reasons for this. The U.S. Surgeon General had come out against cigarettes, but tobacco companies were saying to the public... The
0: causal connection is missing. You have a set of statistics which tend to link smoking with disease and disorder. No one has ever proved that that is the case.
1: Still, they said, fine, we'll put a label on our cigarettes. I mean, they have to, by law.
0: The warnings were very weak. Caution, cigarette smoking may be hazardous to your health. It didn't say cigarette smoking is known to cause lung cancer.
1: Even though, Dr. Cummings told us, the companies definitely knew that to be the case. He's seen the internal records.
0: The companies knew that they were selling a product that likely caused cancer in the early 50s, they knew that their product was addictive and hard to quit. But the companies fought that. They called it a controversy, unproven, unknown. Cigarette smoking may be hazardous to your health. It may not be.
1: We just we don't, don't know. know what causes no one the audience. illness. It may there be. It may there be. is we no causal link.
0: And unfortunately, that costs millions of lives.
1: At the same time, the tobacco companies doubled down on advertising.
0: Cigarettes are the most heavily advertised consumer product in American history. And the companies were spending tens of
1: millions of dollars every year. Tens of millions of dollars, which meant a warning was basically moot. And Dr. Cummings told us think about it. Once companies put these warnings on their cigarette packets, then they can say, well, you've been warned. If you still want to smoke cigarettes, that is on you.
0: Warning, the Surgeon General has determined. There isn't a soul in this country, except perhaps a cave dweller, who could have missed that message. It's imprinted on the American awareness. At that point, our position is that individuals ought to be free to choose. Of course, when you look at the internal business records of the companies that studied
1: the warnings,
0: the cigarette companies knew that their uh, warnings were largely ineffective.
1: So, given all this opposition, it's not surprising that Luther Terry's announcement did not make everyone quit smoking overnight. Also, obviously, cigarettes are engineered to be addictive and hard to quit. But things actually did change. Gradually, of course, and as a result of decades of work. So, cigarette labels had to be stronger. Cigarette ads got pulled off the air. The last cigarette ad aired on January 1st, 1971, on The Johnny Carson Show— Anti-smoking ads gradually took more airtime. You weren't allowed to smoke on planes anymore. The White House went smoke-free in the early 90s. And tobacco companies did finally have to pay up in a landmark lawsuit in the late 90s. They had to pay for a good chunk of healthcare costs for many sick smokers. And today, more than half of US states restrict smoking in public places like restaurants and bars. The cultural significance of smoking has changed. Like, when people found out that President Obama smoked, it was a major news story and not in a good way. In the 56 years since that major announcement, smoking has gone way, way down. Today, less than 15% of Americans smoke. That's compared to 42% in 1964. The problem isn't gone. In fact, according to the CDC, smoking is still the leading cause of preventable death in the U.S., But on the 50th anniversary of Luther Terry's announcement, Dr. Lushnak said he felt hopeful.
2: When we reflected back in January 11, 2014, and oddly enough that year, it was a Saturday as well. And we're there at Arlington National Cemetery. It's a dreary January morning. A light mist is falling. Mm -hmm. About 100, 150 people are gathered at Luther Terry's gravesite at Arlington National. We have a tent set up to protect us from the rain. TV cameras are flowing, networks are covering this. We lay a wreath at his gravesite. And what we're doing is, in the midst of that, is not just reflecting on a single individual. Yes, we're praising the man for his leadership and what he'd done but in essence is we're praising a half-century of effort, and one that, from the optimist perspective, has resulted in a much better world. The optimist basically says is, I saved $8 million, and I can save more if I do this right.
1: Of course, a single announcement, however important, it did not change anything on its own. But it did provide a push. It pushed some people to give up smoking... It pushed other people to join the fight against cigarettes. And today, of course, millions of people in the U.S. still smoke. And cigarettes, or more specifically nicotine, will always be addictive. Inhaling chemicals into our lungs will always be damaging. And now we have a new way to do it.
2: E-cigarettes, 27% of high school students, 10% of middle school students are using e-cigarettes as their number one choice product.
1: E-cigarettes could be a promising alternative option for smokers to quit smoking.
2: With the assumption that somehow that may be better. I'm not fully convinced it's necessarily fully
1: better. It's too soon to know what will happen. But for now, at least, we live in a world where pretty much everyone agrees that an ad like this is completely ridiculous.
2: Yes, folks, the pleasing mildness of a camel is just as enjoyable to a doctor as it is to you or me. In a nationwide survey, doctors in all branches of medicine were asked, What cigarette do you smoke, Doctor?
0: The brand named most was Camels. So mild,
1: so mild, so mild that you're bound to agree
2: that Camels suit you to a T, to a T. Smoke
1: Camels and tea. Thanks for listening to History This Week. For more moments throughout history that are also worth watching, check your cable guide to find out what's on history today. This podcast is produced by McKamey Lynn, Julie Magruder, and me, Sally Helm. Our editor and sound designer is Dan Rosato, and our executive producers are Jesse Katz and Ted Butler. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review History This Week wherever you get your podcasts. And we will see you next week.